HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm Lou Bank. And I'm Greg Rutkowski of Finca the SEO Show. And this is Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps Green Gags bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. Let's go. <laughs> hey, I like this enthusiasm. That's good. Hey, so, um, so Greg, you reached out to me. Uh, I think you reached out to me. Maybe I reached out to you. I can't honestly remember now that I'm saying it, but but we had a conversation as you are setting up your um, your what do you call it out there? Is it a vinata? Is it a taberna? It's a well, it's a distillery. Taberna's uh, for for Icia. So uh, we're we're just calling it a Agave Spirits Distillery. Okay, look, that's very <laughs> gringo of you. I appreciate that. So as you're setting up your distillery, you're also setting up some fields of agave that you will right okay and so you i think actually i must have read a post where you were you were writing about um the difficulty you were having in acquiring seeds and you know as as sacred has been funding the build out of some greenhouses in jalisco but also you know other places but especially in jalisco with the very specific intent of among other things growing from seed blue weber agave tequilana um i noted that you were having troubles acquiring the seeds which made me nervous for my plans greg (laughs) it made me nervous for the tequila industry (laughs) <laughs> right. So 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 tell me about that. Tell me about your journey of trying to acquire the seeds and then, you know, and then once you did acquire them, uh what happens after that? Yeah. So it it's kind of a crazy story and the the main thing here is that we were looking to uh grow agaves uh on our our 12-acre uh project and um you know, we're we're in Puerto Vallarta, right next to basically the the epicenter of tequila, like just like three and a half hours away, 
And so we were like, okay, well, let's let's go find some uh, Blue Weber agave seeds. And, uh, you know, we could either use it ourselves or be able to sell it locally here, you know, since we're within the denomination of origin. And it was really, really important to me to uh, be able to grow our own agave from seed because I knew how important seeds are to the sustainability of agaves just in general and in the wild and, and, you know, within the agave spirits context as well. So lo and behold, um, I did a lot of searching. I talked to all the semilleros, which are the, the seed, the seed harvesters that I can find, um, through references and through Facebook. So, and, and, and roughly how many do you think you contacted Greg? Uh, I, I would say up to 20, uh, there's huh. more, there's more people contacted, um, outside of the seat context too. And, and I'll explain why. Um, so I, I contacted all these, uh, semieros and they, they, uh, were, were pointing me in different directions and I got closer and closer, but nobody had, um, blue Weber seeds. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was like, trying to, uh, I guess, look for people within Jalisco, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I started kind of getting alarmed when the uh, agaveros, which are, who are the people who grow the agave here, um, were, were sending me pictures of hijuelos thinking that they were agaves grown from seed. So wait, wait, they, they thought they were? They figured that you would think... Uh, I, I don't know if they thought that, you know, that they could trick me or, or <laughs> if they actually thought that, that the hijuelos were, were the seeds of the agave. And, and so this is kind of like my frustration with, with all of this is that I didn't find any seeds in, in all of Jalisco. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell you when, um, when one of our posts went up about the rewilding project that we're doing in uh, Zapotitlan de Vadio, or that we're funding, we're not doing it ourselves. Um, we, we were contacted, uh, by somebody through Instagram, through a DM, um, suggesting that we were trying to turn Blue Weber into a monoculture by by growing things from seed it was upside down and it it like it was a long conversation that we still haven't concluded it's been a year now um, <laughs> but it, this was a guy who has fields of blue weber who says no th that's not how blue weber grows the the seeds do come from the roots and which suggests that you know he like he certainly doesn't get it and he said he was second or third generation um, growing Blue Weber in Jalisco this way. And like, no, it never goes to like seed in that way. You don't get seed pods is in essence what he was trying to claim. Yes. Yeah, that's 100% correct. And I think is a reflection of my experience as well. Right. And of course, the danger, just to put a fine point to it, the danger in this is when you're using iuelos, the uh, the little offshoots that come out of the roots of the agave, as opposed to growing the agave from seed, you're getting a genetic clone of the mother plant. Yeah. And in essence, the tequila that you're drinking has been cloned, <laughs> like at least the, the raw material is called materia uh, prima, um, is like clone for the last 400 years or so you know so like it's kind of cool to say hey i'm drinking 
400 year old agave, but at the same time, it's the <laughs> scariest thing in the world because uh, the the plants are not as enduring as they once were. You know, the they're not getting as much uh, genetic variety as they once did, you know? Yeah, but you know, like I, I have to push back against the idea that it's 400 years old. Uh, and, and the reason I'd push back against that is uh, because of that blight that was, what, 1999 when something like 60% of the Blue Weber disappeared. I got to believe that at that point, um, somebody somewhere had to find seeds and had to, some of those plants had to be germinated, right? I, I've been really interested in that story as well, because since like the 60s or 70s, there's been four main blights or diseases that have really like impacted the agave, the Blue Weber agave specifically. So um, there was one in the 70s. Like It's every 10 years, really? I believe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so we're way overdue for one then. It's been like 20. So. Oh, that's that's nice. That's a pleasant thought. <laughs> Huh. Wow. So, okay. So then if, if that's the case, if it really has been that kind of, of, of cyclical uh, collapse, um, then maybe they really are just each time they rebuild, uh, the, each time the community of Jalisco rebuilds, um, maybe it really is just Iwelos. Well, I, I would think that the plants that didn't get the disease, they would consider the most like uh, strong and, and they would want to use those hijuelos instead oh. of the ones that got the disease. So they're, they're... You, you, you know, I'm sorry. Something else that just struck me is, isn't it, isn't it in 1970, I want to say 1974 that they decided you can only use Blue Weber? Uh, that's a good question. I'm, I'm not exactly sure on that one. I, I think that's correct. You know, I, I, uh, my, my pal Alberto sent me the, um, the original, uh, declaration, the original gnome from, um, Mexico, and I'm pretty sure it was like 1974 where they declared, okay, only Blue Weber now. The first time officially like there was any legal documentation within the country. Oh. Um, and I wonder if that's somehow tied to that blight that you saw in the 60s. Yeah, it, it could be. Uh, and you know, the other thing too is that, like one thing I do know for sure is that Blue Weber agave has been held in the highest regard out of the agaves that they were that were available to make tequila so that's that's kind of why it's here today is because it was the most popular to use you know um at, at least in the region i yeah but i you know like look i wasn't around then you weren't around then like i, I i'm hard pressed to believe given how rapidly it reached reaches maturity that somehow it was the best because it was the most delicious right like somehow it strikes me that maybe it's because it's the one that's easiest to grow maybe just like in gustafolia espadine yeah same yep. situation there absolutely yeah, though that also leaves me scratching my head as to why you don't see uh, more mescaleros using uh, tequilana, given that it actually grows more rapidly, particularly in a farm setting, than angustifolia. But maybe, hey, maybe we're going to get there once the whole mezcal industry starts growing from miuelos as well. <laughs> It's kind of a scary thought. Yeah, you know, the, a, a, a few months back, six months back, something like that, I was driving through Oaxaca, and there it was on the roadside. First time I'd ever seen it was a big old truck with Espadini Huelos in the back. Ah, okay. But, 
Yeah, so we're 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 certainly on that path. But anyway, to get back to to the story of the Blue Weber and the Jalisco, so you you couldn't find it in Jalisco, but there's there's there are five states where they're growing Blue Weber for the purposes of making tequila. Did you did you look in all those states? Well, yes, because I was at, like all the I guess uh, Facebook groups that I'm a part of that are, they're called like a, a, a Gavero like Facebook groups. So this is where yeah, yeah. it's like Facebook is the main marketplace in Mexico and where everybody hangs out, right? So I I pretty much sought out every Facebook um, group in Mexico that had anything to do with agave looking for Blue Weber seeds. <laughs> and nice, it wasn't nice. until um, I landed in Oaxaca where I found two semilleros that had uh, tequilana, tequilana, tequilana seeds and... Uh, we were able to find it was like very very small like we're talking like 12 kilos you know if you're if you're thinking about the whole blue weber uh tequila industry in general we're talking a lot of agave millions right and so yeah um the amount of uh blue weber seeds that i found was also very alarming for me <laughs> you know like it wasn't like these 12 kilos is not enough to do anything <laughs> with like uh, well, how many seeds do you think there are in a kilo? I mean, that actually sounds like a lot of seeds to me. Well, yeah. So it's it's 200,000 seeds per kilo, roughly, right? And not all of them are going to germinate. <laughs> roughly, not not exactly? Really? <laughs> One, two, three. Sorry. I had to do a little test. In, like, I, I made, like, a square inch and counted it. And, uh, <laughs> of course you did. You know? And it, came, and it came out to about two hundred thousand, and it was verified by the semillero, like around the same the same range. And like in in that context, twelve kilos is it, it could be a lot of seeds, right? But mm -hmm. also like the availability of seeds in general. There's there's like thousands of kilos on the market, you know, but. We're talking only twelve kilos. It, gotcha. Like, the, well, that you that you were capable of finding, correct. but. But, you know, but I think that also speaks to the fact that, you know, the, the, the tequila industry doesn't seem real keen on growing agave from seed. And I completely understand why, though, too, because, it, you know, when we were talking about um, propagating the Blue Weber, you know, in terms of profit, like it's the same reason for the Ifuelo and the seeds, because the seeds are infinitely more times harder to grow than an Ifuelo. And so... When when you have an ifuelo, you just let it, you know, you do your normal cleaning um, every couple of weeks out in the field and the ifuelo grows just normally. There's no, um, you don't have to worry about watering it because it's getting um, fed from the mother plant. Um, all you have to do is when, when it becomes mature enough is you just cut it and throw it in the truck. But with seeds, you have to germinate the seed. You have to transplant it in, in different um, gardens like three or four times before you actually have to plant it out in the field. You have to pick the weeds by hand from these little gardens. And it takes like a year of really, really hard work just to grow seeds versus ifuelos. All you have to do is just, you know, walk by in the field and, and cut it off and, and replant it and you're ready to go. Hmm. And you're and you're saying all of this, I'm guessing, from experience, because you finally got those yeah. 12 kilos <laughs> and then you started germinating and it started or have you already... Where are you in the process? I'm. In, I'm. We planted. We're like we started um, germinating in December. We had fifty thousand 
uh, seeds germinated. And we are getting ready and have planted uh, a bunch already. So like they're, they're already getting, you know, in the last eight months, they're already starting to have uh, spines on them, which is basically tells you they're ready to plant. Um, so, you know, between, between germinating and, and, and now though, there was a, a tremendous amount of work involved. I had no idea. And I, I don't think most people really have a clue on what it takes to bring this, this agave from seed into your, your glass of mezcal, you know? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair point as, as you're, as you're aware. And cause you know, you, you very kindly offered me some seeds, God bless you. Or not me, I guess, but sacred. Cause you, you wouldn't give them to me. What the hell would I do with them? They don't grow in Chicago, but um, you know, we, we purchased these seedlings from, um, from the from El Manantial, the uh, the middle school in Sachila, and that's you know that's part of the replanting agave program that uh, that Sacred uh, uh, funds, where we hand out groupings of 500 750 seedlings uh, to mescaleros around Oaxaca, and you know it's traditionally traditionally <laughs> since we started that the vast majority of what we've been handing out is tobala, and this last year. Um, we we got a little crazy and we did eight or nine different varieties of agave but the school the middle school like they were so used to the potatorum to the tobala seeds and they knew what to do with those but man did they have a headache with all the other seeds their their germination rate with tobala you know it's it's certainly in the 90 percentile um but with the other seedlings Man, they struggled, and I suspect they're closer to like twenty percent. You know, something in- interesting there is um, my tequiliana seeds, in particular, germinated a lot slower than my other seeds from Oaxaca. Like I, I have like nine or ten other species that germinated so much quicker than these tequila seeds. It, this also like is kind of a scary thing for me too. Is like I'm, I'm just kind of curious if you know, the whole species, like it is, I don't, I don't know. It, it, I don't want to say endangered, but like, I feel like something's going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like, why, why are these seeds germinating slower than my other seeds? And, and, you know, you just gave me confirmation on that too. Cause yeah. I remember we were talking with somebody that works with you and they're like, Hey, we go like, Oh, we're having kind of a tough time getting these things to sprout. I was like, well, yeah, like I, I was actually too. So I'm glad it's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also very scared. <laughs> you, you know, like honestly, that that doesn't concern me. I think, you know, every everything in nature has its own clock. And I, you know, the fact that it takes longer for Blue Weber to germinate, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a botanist, I don't play one on TV, but it, that that strikes me as just, okay, that's that plant. If, you know, if they hadn't germinated at all, that would concern me, but they did. The thing that concerns me is the fact that it takes that much time is just yet another reason for all of these Blue Weber farmers in Jalisco to continue using this monoculture, uh, genetically homogenous Blue Weber clone that, you know, as as you say, collapses roughly every 10 years, and now we're overdue by about 13 years. So, 
you know, when that happens, I think about all of this agriculture collapsing. I think about this financial resource for this these communities collapsing. I think about how it's displaced all of the food sources for these communities because they figured, well, we'll make more money growing Blue Weber so we can buy twice as many beans as we could grow and still have a profit. I think about all of, of the dangers of this collapse and how it's going to affect quality of life for these these people yeah you know and especially in the terms of the blue weber world um where equalos are so prevalent like if you have at least right now you know in, in the current state of things a guy a guy selling blue weber uh agave that's grown from seed isn't gonna make any more money than if he sold equalos so right. he has way more an incentive to sell the Huelos because it's infinitely less work too, you know? So I, I, I don't really see a situation where this is going to get fixed anytime soon unless, I've been thinking about this for a little bit, unless agaves grown from seed have a, like command a higher price point at the bars and restaurants and liquor stores. I, and, and I get why you would say that, because you and I come from this world. And, you know, and I think uh, Jalisco, Jalisco, by and large, has become our world. Uh, but, you know, there are certainly parts of Jalisco that look more to me like the parts of the parts of Oaxaca and Puebla like and Michoacan right? that I love. Yeah, right, exactly. Where they've got that different worldview of, you know, it's not what's most efficient, but what's the best result. And it's not, you know, I'm not saying that they don't, they don't want or need money in these communities, but I do think that they've got in, again, again, I don't want to, I don't want to paint this with a, a, a broad brush i certainly don't want to fetishize it and and, and piss off cisco uh, but i you know i do think that there's this this intellect and this worldview that um that that's smarter than ours that isn't just thinking about well how do i get more money right now that's not focused on the next 20 minutes that's focused on what does life look like for my child and my grandchild and so I, I I hear what you're saying. I don't think I don't think that's possible that anybody drinking, you know, you and I maybe, but if you look at that mezcal sales as two percent of tequila sales, and you figure that the vast majority of people drinking mezcal aren't us, right? That's mainly cocktail mezcal. Like there's there's no way that our enthusiasm for um, uh, genetic diversity within Blue Weber is ever going to even just like make a dent. No, or not at all. Ding, <laughs> right in tequila. So I really do think that it has to be something else. It has to be these, you know, maybe there's communities in these other four states. Maybe there's places in Michoacan where they recognize this. Maybe it's it's incumbent upon people like you and I who are enthusiasts to fund beyond our, our uh, consumption to try and ensure that these things that we love uh, can continue to be things that exist. You know, and you made a great point there. And that's one thing I really love about Mexico is that they have such a long-term vision here, way more than the United States, like as far as like passing things down, like 
you know, through the heritage or just making a plan like for something like mm -hmm. they, they, they think about like the consequences, like, you know, generations out. And, it, you know, I, I just love that kind of mentality. And it, it, it was kind of eye opening for me moving to Mexico and seeing, uh, I, I guess, that mentality. Yeah. And, and um, you know, as, as long as, as that keeps going, I, I think there's a really good hope, you know, for agave uh, spirits in general absolutely yeah you know i hope so too but again i think it's important to distinguish that it, it, you're saying they but you're when you say they you're thinking of very specific people right yeah right and you know i think the the real danger is that we up here in the usa or i guess i mean you're down in mexico but you get what i'm saying that the the, the broader world uh just keeps consuming at this rate and we we consume Jalisco. We consume these communities that are the they you're talking about, but but we force our consumption patterns onto their world um, and and their lands that had been wild lands that they were using to, to, to forage food, to harvest their agave, suddenly become fields of Blue Weber in service of my tequila uh, uh, consumption. Yeah, that's one hundred percent correct. It, yeah, and, and the mezcal's moving that direction too. In Ricea, like, yeah, the mescaleros are are starting to experiment with things that cater more to the the palate of the gringo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, my my great hope is that uh, you know projects like yours, right, where you've now planted a seed, literally, you've taken root in Jalisco with this project, growing Blue Weber from seed. Projects like what D David Suro is doing uh, with the Rosales family at Cascaween. Um, uh, where they're trying to move the the clock backwards and and take take projects in Jalisco and make them more like they would have looked a hundred hundred fifty years ago. That maybe maybe you know there's there's some hope that that we don't we don't turn all of Mexico into Jalisco. That instead Jalisco starts turning more uh, back in time into something like Puebla. I think you might be right about that for a couple of reasons. One mainly is because the market is kind of dictating it. Mm, no, no. You don't think so? Like, oh God, no, not at all. The, the tequila industries, uh, the tequila industry. Some people, um, like the more artisanal brands, are are incorporating um, maybe like an underground oven. Um, oh, you know. Oh, without. Without question, you're seeing more of it, but it's still, it's this tiny, tiny, tiny little spot in this huge universe. Yes. And, 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 and I'm not saying that that means it's, it's you know, that it's, dis, it's something you can dismiss. I think it's important, but I, I think it's, it's like the seed itself. This needs to be germinated and nurtured and protected, and, and we need patience to see it come to fruition, um, but, but I think it's going to take a a lot of resources, just as your seeds are taking a lot of resources, in order to ensure that it takes root. Yes, that's without a doubt. <laughs> okay, I think that was a beautiful metaphor, and I don't know that I've I got it. anything else in me. Okay, perfect. But I think, I think, unless you got something else for me, Greg, I think we call this a wrap. I do have one other thing. I, I have been oh. seeing some artisanal brands using or letting their fields grow to, you know, Full maturity, and they're starting to harvest some seeds. I don't know how many they're they're really? able to get. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know if I can mention some specific brands here, but yeah, um, please. Yeah, like like G four. I I have been seeing them oh. portion of their field uh, let it go to full maturity, and they're actually harvesting uh, the pods from the Kyote. So this was kind of right after I started my my journey. I I, I saw a couple people um, doing this, so um, oh. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, I like I've been really disappointed to to keep checking in on the bat friendly tequila website and uh, and seeing that they still haven't certified any tequila as bat friendly since 2016. So seeing that there are there are actors outside of that who are ma- taking their own initiative to ensure that that agaves are going to seed and that bats have places to eat. Um, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, well then, on that note, (laughs) we'll call that a wrap. Thanks so much for your time, Greg. Appreciate you joining me. Thank you, Lou. Hasta pronto. You've been listening to Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps Gring X bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. We're blessed with sound engineering by Roy Sierra and a theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Marco Ricos. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, well, I'm sure you'll let us know that too. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Agave Road Trip. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pit Bulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization using the power of education educational storytelling about food to build a more equitable, resilient food system. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network might lead you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If you drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Drive responsibly. Eat responsibly, too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio network responsibly wear protective earbuds while wearing protective earbuds do not drive do not walk either sit in a comfortable chair if that comfortable chair has a hard seat please remember to stretch every 30 minutes if you stretch every 30 minutes please stay within your defined stressing capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching if you don't have a doctor maybe dr ryan acock the cocktail md can help you out thanks for listening agave road trip out